Good morning, and welcome to this worship service. This is Fishkill Baptist, and I am Gary Bonebreak, interim pastor. If we haven't met personally, I would love to meet you when we can and get to know you. In the meantime, contact us through that online connection card. We would love to hear from you. I'm glad you're able to join us in worship this morning. We all look forward to the day when we can begin in-person worship and be together. Now for the sermon this morning. We're in Mark 2, and we will read the text in a moment. You know, there was a time when our culture had a higher respect for, Christian, for the Christian worldview. I, I mean the culture at large. A few decades ago, uh, media presentations would more fairly and fully respect Christians and a biblical worldview. For example, since I was using it as a sermon illustration, Barb and I recently re-watched or watched again the movie Ben-Hur. The film was done in 1959 and then redone in 2013. We watched both, and we found it fascinating to observe the differences between the 1959 and the 2013 production of the same story. The 1959 version focused on the, uh, more on Christ and presented a powerful Christian message. The, uh, the movie began with the birth of Christ, concluded with the river of life flowing from the, from the foot of the cross. Jesus was represented in the film with great respect. The 2013 redo of the story of Ben-Hur was very different. It contained much less about Christ. It focused more on the love story between Judah Ben-Hur and his betrothed, Esther. The 2013 version included sexual liaisons and explicit nudity. Jesus was largely omitted. The same story, but less about Christ, more about sex. This reflects changes in our culture at large, doesn't it? A biblical worldview tells us that God is creator, we have fallen into sin, and are guilty before a holy God, and that forgiveness comes to us through Jesus, God's Son. Our culture today gives us a different message. Our culture today tells us we are not guilty before a holy God. Darwinian evolution teaches us that uh, there is no creator, that we are here by chance, and that life has no meaning or purpose. Darwinian evolution teaches us that human instincts are natural and not to be restrained. The sexual revolution of the 60s has thrown off all constraints. What used to be called promiscuity is now sexual freedom. We are liberated. Living together apart from marriage is not wrong. There is no sexual ethic for us. Everything is permitted. You are just being true to yourself when you follow whatever desire you please. 
And your self is, after all, the measure of all things. The word self is written in all caps in our culture. Truth itself is under attack. All we have is your truth and my truth. No one has universal truth from God. In the last 50 years in Western culture, there has been a dramatic shift away from a general Christian orientation to an Eastern pantheistic worldview, which makes all of these dangerous ideas credible to many people. The frightening danger is that people are asleep, oblivious. People believe these lies. They deny they are, they are accountable to God and live their lives oblivious that someday they will stand before God on Judgment Day. They are asleep, oblivious. People desperately need faithful friends to waken them, to rouse them from lethargy, to urge them to seek God before it is too late. The Bible teaches that all people need forgiveness. We need God's mercy. The Bible has a great deal to say about forgiveness. Sin, first of all, needs to be understood. What, what do we mean by this word sin? Well, sin is a lack of conformity to God's will in our actions or our attitudes. We do what he forbids. We fail to do what he commands. And it's not only our actions, but the attitudes of our hearts. Our hearts are not set on God and what he wants, but on ourselves and what we want. God is our creator and heavenly father. What he wills is for our good, for human flourishing, just as a parent's rules are for the child's good and best. But we have rebelled against God. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned. Sin results in alienation from God, from others, and from ourselves. Our guilt is real, and we are all guilty, and we all need forgiveness. Forgiveness of sin is the releasing of a person from God's judgment and from the penalty, which is our due. The Bible teaches that God is merciful and forgives freely. As we read in the Old Testament, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is our God, merciful, forgiving, he delights in showing mercy rather than in judgment, and he calls all, all to repentance. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. But we must understand God does not forgive out of thin air. He cannot. He is just. Sin must be punished. He does not leave the guilty unpunished, we read in the Bible. The basis for God's forgiveness is the cross, where Christ was punished for us. He endured the demands of justice in our place. He died for us, 
paying the penalty of sin. Forgiveness of sin is very costly. The basis for forgiveness is the cross. The condition for receiving forgiveness is trust. Trust in the Savior that God has sent, the Lord Jesus. In our text this morning, we learn about God and about forgiveness. We're going to read the text from Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him to get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in, in, the, in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the man, the, the mat, the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? And I think after that question, there was a dramatic pause. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together just for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the Gospel of Mark. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts, enable us to understand, to believe, and to apply this passage to ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, ministering in Galilee, had healed a leper, as we saw in the last section last week. After he healed a leper, a healing panic had broken out. Jesus could no longer enter a village openly. Everyone was mobbing him. Christ had told him to go to the priests as a testimony to them and not to tell anyone about his healing from leprosy. Instead, he told people everywhere so Jesus could no longer move without being mobbed. Here in chapter 2, Jesus is teaching in Galilee, in Capernaum. Notice in verse 1 that Capernaum is called home. Capernaum became his base for ministry in Galilee. Now, four friends brought a paralyzed man to Jesus. The cause of his affliction, whether, whether an accident or illness, is unknown. 
They tried to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't because access was denied by the crowd all around him. Well, these men were not to be denied. They were desperate, and the the paralyzed man was desperate. So they clambered up on the roof. Now, we need some background here. This roof was not like our pitched roofs, you know, with tar paper and shingles. No, in this arid culture, uh, houses had flat roofs. An outside staircase led up to a flat roof where beams, perhaps three feet apart, supported a roof thatched over with clay and branches. People would often spend time on their roofs. An arid climate permitted this. So the men dug through the roof and tore open a hole and lowered their friend down to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, notice it says their faith, verse 5. I think we are to understand that all five of them believed. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now that snapped heads. First, we need to understand Jesus is not saying that all sickness is due to sin. He did not teach that. In another passage about a man born blind, Jesus' disciples uh, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So Jesus did not teach that all suffering was due to sin. And he's not teaching that here in this passage either. In this passage, Jesus addressed this paralyzed man's greatest need first, forgiveness. He was turning to Jesus, and Jesus granted him forgiveness of sin. Well, the scribes scoffed at this. The scribes, or teachers of the law, were experts in the law of Moses. They were professional students of and teachers of the law. They thought to themselves, what did he say? What's that? That's blasphemy. Who can forgive sin but God alone? Blasphemy is when a mere human claims for oneself divine privileges because only God can forgive sin. The scribes scoffed at Jesus, and there is no shortage of scoffers today. Looking at this narrative, we see two groups, seekers and scoffers. The seeker was forgiven. The scoffers received no forgiveness. They rejected Jesus, the one who can grant forgiveness. So we see in this passage Jesus' authority to forgive sin, and secondly, Jesus proves his authority to forgive sin. Now we should note parenthetically that Mark is confronting his readers with the true dignity of Jesus. In the passage just before this, Jesus healed a leper. The rabbis taught that only God could heal a leper. And Jesus had healed a leper with a touch. Now, in the very next narrative, Jesus forgives sin. Only God can forgive sin. Mark is emphasizing 
the greatness of Christ. We read in the narrative that Jesus knew what was in their hearts, verses 8 and 9. Now, only God knows what's in our hearts. We know that none of us has secrets from God. He knows our hearts. That God is the one who searches the mind and heart is often taught in the Old Testament. These experts in the law knew this well. Yet Jesus knew what they were thinking. What they had thought to themselves, verse 6, Jesus knew. He brought their thoughts out into the open. This itself was a sign to them. Which is easier, Jesus asked, to forgive or to heal? Which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Now, you can feel the tension here. The paralyzed man is lying on his mat in front of them. Jesus has just expressed publicly what they were thinking, which is easier. You can imagine that in that moment as they waited, you could have heard a pin drop in that crowd. I don't know how long Jesus waited. He waited for an answer to the question with the man lying there on the mat in front of them. And then Jesus said, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, now what would happen? The man got up, picked up his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. Verse 12. What a dramatic moment. He healed the man and sent him off rejoicing in the sight of the whole crowd, giving, giving public evidence for his authority to forgive. The crowds were amazed, verse 12, and the scribes were silenced and confounded. Note here that Jesus called himself the Son of Man for the first time. This, this title, often used by Jesus, alludes to the heavenly figure of Daniel who inherits the kingdom after the destruction of world powers in the prophet Daniel. This is a messianic title, though I think everyone may have been so astonished by what they had just seen that they may have missed this entirely. This was an astonishing miracle, backing up an amazing claim, the authority to forgive sin. Forgiveness is what we all need. Let me just tell you the story about John Elliott. John Elliott was a forest ranger in the Rockies in Alberta, Canada. As a forest ranger, one day he logged miles, wading through the snows of mountain passes, checking for avalanche dangers. After that long day outside, as dusk came on, completely exhausted, he made it to his cabin dazed with fatigue. He was so tired, he didn't light a fire in the cabin or even get out of his wet clothes. 
he just collapsed on the cabin floor. As he lay there, huddled on the floor with the storm raging outside, he was asleep, oblivious, and actually, slowly, freezing to death. The cold seeped through the cabin walls. The sleeping forest ranger was almost comatose. He was in real danger of death. But he had a friend with him, a faithful friend, his constant companion, his St. Bernard. The dog, sensing the danger, sprang into action, whined and whined and licked his face. And finally, he woke his master. The dog saved him. Later, John Elliott said, if my dog had not been with me, I would have died. When you're freezing to death, you actually feel warm all over, and you don't wake up because it feels so good. May I say, this pictures the condition, the condition of people today. In a culture that has turned away from a Christian worldview, many people are spiritually cold, asleep, oblivious. God uses faithful friends to wake us, to rouse us awake to the danger. He shakes us and wakens us from lethargy because he loves us and wants to save us from judgment and wrath. We must be prepared to, to meet God by turning uh, to Christ as our Savior. We who know the story of Jesus know the signs, his powerful teaching, his perfect life, his miracles, and we've been granted the greatest sign of all, the sign of his resurrection from death. We must turn to this one who forgives. The Son of Man has authority to forgive. Jesus freely grants forgiveness to those who come to him and trust him. Jesus offers you forgiveness if you come to him. We must reject the lies of our culture and with great urgency get to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, you will be forgiven and you will be saved. And we who have been saved by Christ, forgiven of our sin, we we must be faithful friends to others, to warn them, to waken them, to, to come to Jesus for their salvation too. That's what this passage helps us to see. Let's bow together in a concluding word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you've opened our minds and our hearts to trust in Jesus. Oh God, how thankful we are for Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who endured the penalty of all our sin and made the perfect atonement on the cross and then defeated death in his resurrection. Father, this morning, how we pray that all who hear this promise of forgiveness may themselves trust in Christ, turn to the Lord, and receive overwhelming joy in forgiveness. And Father, how we pray that you would give us opportunity to have good conversations with others and to help them trust in the same Savior, the one who is trustworthy, 
the Son of God, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Have a good Lord's Day.